Hey y'all, welcome to episode 5 of the Plaid Pilot Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Weld. Most podcasts fizzle out before episode 10, and there's still time for that. But to celebrate making it halfway, we're going to be doing something a little different today and have a get-to-know-me episode. I'll also talk a little bit about how I became a pilot and why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. We're still going to have a good time, and next week we'll be right back to aviation history. So first off, I just want to say thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, This whole thing is still pretty small as far as podcasts go. Uh, but it's blown me away to see the support. Um, there have been listeners, I think, in, in seven countries around the world and almost half of the U.S. states. Some of you have actually reached out, and I've, I've really liked getting to talk to you. Uh, if you haven't reached out and you'd like to, you can always shoot me an email at todd at com, or send me a DM on Instagram at theplaidpilot. There's a Plaid Pilot Podcast Facebook page as well. Uh, if you're on that platform, be sure to go over there and give that a like. Uh, I, I'll link to it in the show notes as well. And if you've been enjoying the show so far, uh, please consider giving it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, We're on a lot of them now. I know there's Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, uh, I think a handful of others. Uh, And and be sure to tell your friends about the show. You can spread the word faster than I can for sure. And um, those uh, those ratings really help... uh, the visibility on the different platforms uh, lets other people, when they start searching it, help helps them find it. So this podcast actually started as an Instagram page. Uh, last year, I was getting tired of Facebook. It had kind of developed into this hyper-polarized platform. Everybody just arguing, no one really listening to each other. Uh, and But I enjoyed a lot of the memes and pictures and videos from the airplane groups that I was in. Uh, and so I thought maybe I'd try out Instagram. And I didn't really want to use my name. Uh, I just wanted to build this community of strangers who loved aviation as much as I did. Uh, And I could share flying things all day long, not have to worry about people I knew in real life getting tired of seeing them. So one day, I hadn't flown for a bit. Uh, I shared a Today in Aviation History post instead of one of me flying, and it did surprisingly well. Uh, People seemed to like it. And of course, it's all relative. Uh, The page had probably six followers at the time. Uh, it was cool to see that I could share my love of history and aviation uh, with these people you know, that I had never met and uh, have them respond positively to that. So that was really cool. Uh, so I started doing more of the aviation history posts. And what I found is that often when I wanted to make a post about some person or event, there was usually a lot of really cool stuff around that, uh, like way too much for a post on Instagram to do it any kind of justice. And I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to find a way to share these stories with other people in a format that could get into the details a little bit more, not be so limited. Uh, And so I I had this idea to start a podcast. Now, a blog probably would have served a similar purpose, but I really enjoy podcasts just personally uh, and the freedom that they offer. You know, I can be driving on a plane, working on projects in the garage or whatever, and uh, still enjoy listening to a podcast. Blogs are great, but you really have to dedicate time to doing that one thing And for me, I don't have a lot of free time, so anything that's going to let me kill two birds with one stone, I'm going to be all for. So after thinking about it for months, I decided to pull the trigger. Uh, I wanted to focus on the side of history that's pretty often overlooked. Um, My goal for the podcast is, you know, obviously I'd I'd like to entertain aviation and history enthusiasts, uh, but also to hopefully inspire someone who's always wanted to fly, but never thought there was a path to the sky for them, for whatever reason. History teaches us that no matter what your perceived barrier is, you know, whether that's gender, race, disability, your upbringing, whatever, uh, someone has overcome the odds, and you can too. And about the name, uh, I wear a lot of plaid, and all the cool names were taken. So a little about me. 
Uh, I'm 29, getting ready to be 30 in a few months. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, you know I claim Oklahoma as my home state, but I was actually born in Maryland. My dad was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base at the time, uh, and I spent the first year and some change of my life there before we moved to Oklahoma. So a neat piece of history, um, I have no memory of it, but I was actually there and I got to see George H.W. Bush uh, get on the Air Force One for the last time. Uh, now it was actually not technically Air Force One because it was after Clinton was sworn in as president. Uh, and something some people may or may not know is that the plane that's usually referred to as Air Force One, it's a BC-25, basically a highly modified Boeing 747. Uh, it only becomes Air Force One when the president's on board. Uh, and, and technically, any plane that the president is on becomes Air Force One for the time that they're on board. Uh, but Clinton had taken office and, and Bush was going home, so it wasn't exactly Air Force One, but I got to be there for that, and that's kind of a neat thing. So anyway, we moved to Oklahoma, and spent I spent basically my whole childhood there. Uh, I have a fairly stereotypical aviation story. Um, I don't remember a time when I didn't love airplanes, the idea of flying. Uh, I can remember going over to my, my grandma's house, and I couldn't have been very old when she lived there. Uh, she lived near Will Rogers World Airport in Oklahoma City. Um, but we would have pool parties in the back, and I can remember seeing the fighters. I assumed they were from the Air National Guard stationed right there at the airport, um, and they'd be flying over. I can remember later thinking um, that it must have been an air show uh, having all these aircraft fly over. I don't actually know if it was you know, an actual air show or if it was just regular you know, training sorties or, or whatever. Um, I know my parents always enjoyed watching airplanes take off from Will Rogers. They had this observation tower at one point, I think, in, uh, in a place you could go park and still get a pretty decent view from the ground. Uh, and I, I seem to remember parking and watching airplanes with them when I was fairly young. Of course, a lot of that changed after 9-11 uh, with where you were allowed to go in the airport. And, and I've, I've always liked movies with airplanes in them. Um, I used to, you know, at the library, look for movies with airplanes and it didn't really matter what the plot line was I just wanted to see the movies with airplanes uh one of my favorite movies starting around the time I was probably four uh, was Alaska uh, it was called Alaska it was about a guy who flew a super cub on floats um I'm pretty sure it was a super cub not a regular cub and his his teenage kids have to go looking for him after he crashes in the Alaskan wilderness um then in 2001 when Pearl Harbor came out it really started an obsession with warbirds for me uh, and I know people have a lot of mixed feelings about that movie in terms of content and quality and whatnot. Uh, but as an eight or nine year old kid who already loved aviation, it could have been nothing but three hours of warbirds flying around, blowing things up, zero plot line. I would have been sold on it. And I remember, you know, after that, I spent a lot of time drawing airplanes, just filling up these notebooks with with different kinds of airplanes that I'm drawing, probably objectively terrible drawings. Uh, but I was limited in ways to express my passion for aviation, so that's that's what I did. Um, I got a lot of books on airplanes from the library. I spent a lot of time looking at pictures in the aviation section of the World Book Encyclopedias. Uh, we didn't have internet access, so that's how I got my aviation fix, was just flipping through these encyclopedias for anything aviation-related. Uh, and I became very interested in history in general, but World War II in particular, and really anything involving airplanes. Uh, and to this day, I really haven't grown out of it. So I got my first ride on an airplane, uh, that I remember at any rate, uh, the summer after the fourth or fifth grade, I think it was. We flew Delta to Vermont, uh, had a layover at Cincinnati Airport. It's right there on the Kentucky-Ohio line. I think it's actually on the Kentucky side, even though it's the Cincinnati Airport. 
but I loved it. Uh, I actually, I liked it so much. I kept one of the napkins that they passed out, like with the pretzels um, and snacks, whatever, on the, had the Delta emblem on it. And I kept it for years. Uh, I might even still have it somewhere because I'm terrible about holding on to things that I probably shouldn't. Um, but those four, you know, two flights up and two flights back, were the only plans I'd get to go on until I joined the Air Force many years later. But it was still a really cool experience, and it stuck with me. So fast forward to senior year, I have almost no idea what I want to do with my life other than fly. Um, I'd actually talked with a flight school up in Tulsa and had plans to go there, but I wasn't real sure how I was going to pay for it. Uh, and then looking into things with my parents, and we'd read a lot of, you know, at least a handful of negative reviews for the school, uh, and decided it'd be better not to go that route. Looking back now, having flown with several different schools, um, the negative reviews we were seeing in these complaints, they were pretty standard complaints, uh, you know, that you're, you're going to see some of it at, at almost every flight school. You're going to find these same complaints. Uh, it's kind of just the industry standard things and this disgruntled students and that, that type of thing. Um, but I'm glad things worked out the way they did, because if I had ended up going to that school, uh, I likely wouldn't have ended up married to my wife. So sometimes it's good to uh, realize that what seems like a roadblock at the time is really just a necessary detour, something you need more, uh, you know, something better. And you can always meet back with the original plan later. So the flight school had fallen through, um, I, but I had a pretty good scholarship to a university out in uh, Weatherford, Oklahoma. It's called Swasu, uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State University. So I gave that a try for the free money which is not a great reason to go to school, I guess, but uh, didn't want to turn it down. Uh, but I didn't feel like I was going anywhere meaningful with it. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It's not a knock on the school. Uh, the school was great. I just needed some more direction in my life. Um, so after a solid six to eight weeks, I dropped out, and I joined the Air Force as an avionics tech. So a lot of you are probably familiar with what that is, but for those who aren't, um, I was one of the people who maintained the electronics on the aircraft. So that's Flight control systems, nav systems, communication systems, and uh, it was on unmanned aircraft. So the comm systems consisted of things, you know, voice, radio communications, and then the command and control comm links for the jets as well. And there were a lot of really cool things about it, but I also had to live in North Dakota for a handful of years, and I struggled with the weather there. Uh, the people there were awesome. The weather there was terrible. I was able to get orders to Las Vegas, uh, and here I am today. And I've since gotten out of the Air Force and now work as a radio technician, uh, as a civilian. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 11 years now. She's incredible. Um, she's always so supportive. Uh, she puts up with my shenanigans, and I'm so lucky to have her around. And we have three kids, all boys. They are super crazy. Uh, but watching them grow up and, and develop as people has been really the coolest and scariest thing ever. So anyhow... Uh, the plan for a while, while I was in the Air Force, was to start flight training as soon as I got out. So right before I got out, I realized I hate roller coasters. Um, I've hated them my entire life, and I don't know if it's the lack of control or what it is, but you will not find me on a roller coaster. And then I'm thinking, I've never been in a small plane in my life. What if the experience is too much like a roller coaster and I hate it, right? So I'm like, I'm just worried that it's going to be too similar. Whatever it is about the roller coaster that I hate, I'm going to hate about flying. Um, and this is the thing I've wanted to do for years, literally decades at this point, and now I'm afraid I'm going to hate it. And so my wife, being ever supportive, uh, she, bought, she, she books me a discovery flight. Uh, it was a beautiful October evening, 
and I was in um, 738 Charlie Yankee. 8 Charlie Yankee is a 1977 Cessna 172 in model. Uh, it's white. It's got a burnt orange stripe down the side. It is not pretty. Uh, but it was my first plane to fly, and it was just the best night to be up, smooth as glass, and I was absolutely hooked. Um, I've, I've never flown 8 Charlie Yankee since that night, um, but I see it flying around on 4Flight, and I hear it on the radio sometimes at the airport, and it and, you know, just holds a special place in my heart because it was, it was my first airplane to fly. So, so at this point, uh, I know when I get out of the Air Force, this is what I'm going to do. Um, was not at all like a roller coaster. Absolutely loved it. And this is what I want to do. Not as a career, but just as a hobby. Um, and I'll actually get to start the process. So in my few remaining months, I decide I want to knock out the bookwork. So once I'm out, I can focus on the flying side of it. Uh, and this is a step I would suggest to anyone who wants to fly. Other than money, ground school, uh, the bookwork, keeps more people from becoming pilots than anything else. So definitely do a discovery flight. or usually 25 to $50, somewhere in that range. Um, and it'll get you anywhere from a half hour to an hour in the air. Uh, and then definitely hit the books. Uh, make sure that the bookwork isn't a deal breaker for you. It, it's not really particularly hard, but some people get really turned off by it just because it's it's a whole lot of information and it's obviously not as fun as actually flying. So it's a lot of hard work and dedication to get through the, the ground school side of it. Now you could uh, start doing lessons with an instructor. Uh, but all the information is online. And unless you learn best in the classroom setting, uh, an online ground school might be a great option. There's several you can choose from. Uh, there's no right or wrong choice. So do a little research. Decide what works best for you and your wallet. Uh, I went with the Gold Seal Ground School. My only complaint with the Gold Seal Ground School was their E6B section, the flight computer. Uh, some people call it the whiz wheel. The unit for that literally said, find an instructor and have them teach you how to use it. So it was super not helpful. Um, and keep in mind, this was five years ago. I, I, I can't speak to any updates that they may have made. I know there's tons of videos on YouTube, pretty good videos on how to use the E6B. That's what I did, is I just went to YouTube, how to use the E6B, and basically with that video, was able to learn how to do it. And um, I don't remember what score I made on the test, uh, but with the Gold Seal Ground School and those E6B videos on YouTube, uh, I know I made above a 90%. Uh, it worked for me, but definitely find what uh, works best for you and your style of learning. Uh, one thing that I did like about the Gold Seal Ground School is that they offered a portion of the lessons for free. So you could take some of these lessons online for free to, just to see if you like the format and if it, it worked for you. Now, there's a lot of free options as well. Uh, a lot of good YouTube videos, websites. There's even podcasts that'll, that'll help you learn the material. Uh, but you can't take the test until an instructor signs you off. So theoretically, you could completely teach yourself using online resources. Uh, but it's, it's good to get it from an authority to make sure that you are getting accurate and good information. But you you can't take that test until an instructor signs you off. So you either need to do an online ground school that gives you that endorsement uh, at the end of the ground school or learn the information on your own and then go find an instructor that will sit down with you and decide that you're ready. Uh, again, there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, you just have to find what works for you. But if you show up to lesson one with your written test completed, you'll be that much ahead and get to focus more on flying. Another piece of advice I would give is to knock out your medical early. 
maybe even before you start ground school, every pilot, at least every private pilot and above, has to get a medical certificate before they can solo. Um, so depending on a lot of factors, by the time that you're ready to solo, you could potentially have dropped a couple thousand dollars only to find out that you have a condition that means you can't fly, or at least not at the private pilot level. Maybe you could do light sport or something else, ultralights. So after you have your medical certificate and your written test out of the way, you can get onto the fun part. So I learned to fly out of North Las Vegas Airport. Uh, it's one of the busiest GA airports in the country, and I think at one point it actually had the highest number of um, airfield incursions in the U.S., which is not a good record to hold, but it's, it is what it is. But it's a very active environment to learn in. Uh, you'll generally spend the first several lessons learning basic aircraft handling, gradually learning to land, and most people will tell you landing's the hardest part of flying in general. Once you hit a point where your instructor is confident in your ability, they're going to send you up for your first solo. So for me, that was the biggest step in my aviation journey, at least so far. Um, but I would be surprised if anything ever comes close to that. Uh, that experience. It's pretty crazy feeling on that first takeoff. You glance over and it's all you. There's there's nobody to, to help you out. And then when you land, it's just this huge confidence boost. Uh, and there's nothing in the world like that feeling. It's at that moment that you really become a pilot. Even if you can't legally take passengers, you got a lot of restrictions or whatever, um, you're officially a pilot. You've taken an airplane up by yourself. You've landed it by yourself. And now you're a pilot. So after that, pretty standard. You work on a lot of uh, cross-country stuff, practice some of the older stuff you went over, some of the maneuvers um, that you practiced towards the beginning of your training. So when you've met all your hour requirements and your instructor thinks that you're ready, uh, they'll sign you off, they'll give you your checkride endorsement, and you can uh, get your checkride scheduled. Now, I don't remember how long I had to wait for my private pilot checkride. I'm currently in the process of getting set up for my instrument ride, and even finding an examiner who's scheduling right now is, is pretty difficult. Um, I don't know if that's like a nationwide problem, if it's related to the pilot shortage, or if it's just a regional thing around here for some reason. Uh, but I know a lot of pilots right now that are trying to get a check ride and, and struggling with that. If, if your instructor prepared you well, there shouldn't be anything surprising on the check ride. There wasn't for me. It was all, you know, things that I had previously done. Uh, and they, the way I was told to look at it is that when the instructor signs you off, you, you've already passed everything that is going to be on the check ride. You just have to go on this last flight and show the examiner why you got signed off. Uh, so for me, the check ride was pretty anticlimactic, um, which I guess is how you want it to be. So I passed, and uh, I've been a private pilot for uh, three, almost four years now. I'm still a pretty low-time pilot. I have less than 200 hours. Um, there's still a lot of learning to do. Hopefully that never stops. should always... You should continue to be learning every time you, you take an airplane up. Um, you should be learning something and, and trying to increase your skill level and your knowledge and just become a better, safer pilot. So hopefully that never stops. But flying has been really, it's just been a great thing. Um, and I hope to continue for a whole lot of years, hopefully decades. Um, at this point, I don't have any plans of making a career out of flying. I have a lot of people ask if I want to go to the airlines and stuff like that. Um, I have a good job right now. I enjoy what I do for work, and I never have to fly when I don't want to. My fear with earning a living through flying is taking my favorite thing and then making it this burden, a source of stress, and I just don't want that. I want flying to continue to be fun. I want to be able to fly when I want to fly, and I want to not feel like I'm being forced to do it. 
Um, but I do plan to keep on earning my ratings. I want to get my commercial multi-engine and, uh, you know, become an instructor eventually. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Before we go, I want to take a look at a few questions um, that I've gotten from some listeners. One question I got was, where did I learn to fly? So I learned to fly at Light Sport Aviation out of North Las Vegas Airport. I went to check them out initially. I heard about them. They had the lowest cost per hour on the field. Uh, and that's why I initially went to, to see what they were all about. I got along really well with the head instructor, and I decided to give it a go. Uh, it turned out to be a really good experience, and I'd absolutely do it again. Um, I would warn against picking a place just based off of the hourly cost. In this case, the prices were so low because it was a light sport aircraft, so a very small, very light airplane, uh, and it only burned about four gallons per hour. Uh, fuel burn was about half of what a Cessna 172 burns. The operating costs were lower, so it was easier to... Those lower operating costs actually translated to you know, lower rental costs. So that worked out well. But if, if you see a school that has much lower rates for a similar airplane, I'm not saying don't go with them, just maybe find out why. Another question I got um, was if I could fly anywhere, where would I want to fly? Uh, I have a lot on that list, uh, but I'd probably have to say Alaska. Um, I've always wanted to go there. All the pictures and videos I've seen of people flying there have been just beautiful. Um, so Alaska would be, I think, top of my list to get to fly. But some other top locations on my list, Catalina Island, which actually isn't too far from here, um, would be a fairly easy day flight out from Las Vegas. Uh, it's off the coast of California. Niagara Falls would be a really cool uh, place to fly over. And then another thing I've wanted to do is the Hudson River Exclusion in New York City. Uh, and you're supposed to have a pretty good view of the skyline and uh, the Statue of Liberty as well. So I think it would be really cool to fly over that and see it. And then, of course, there's so many huge airports in the area. It would just be really cool to, to be flying VFR uh, down the Hudson with all of that around you. All right, so last question. Uh, if you could fly with anyone, past or present, who would it be? So top choice, hands down for me, would be my wife. So she is absolutely terrified of small airplanes. Uh, so we haven't got to share that experience yet. It will happen eventually, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but got to find a good time and and get her warmed up to the idea. Aside from her, uh, I would probably say Jimmy Doolittle. Um, really, I'd love to be able to fly with any of the men or women who are flying 100 years ago when there was this increased element of risk involved with every flight, uh, and they were making the conscious decision to risk everything just to follow that dream of flying. You know, there's still, still an element of risk anytime you fly, but we have it very easy compared to some of uh, people who are flying 100 years ago. But among a whole slew of accomplishments, Doolittle was the first person to make a completely blind flight. Uh, and of course, he led the first attack on mainland Japan with the Doolittle raid. Um, and combat actions aside, I would just love to share the cockpit with someone who had the skill and the gumption to be the first person in the world to launch a B-25 off an aircraft carrier. It was something that was you know, a really big deal. And for a whole list of reasons, uh, Doolittle is, is one of my favorite aviators. That last one is, a, I, I love that question, it's a great question. Um, maybe sometime I should do an episode on top five pilots from history I'd like to fly with or something like that. Um, I am curious now, send me a message, email or whatever, let me know if you could fly with anyone, uh, past or present, who would it be? And you can email me again, uh, Todd at theplaidpilot.com or on uh, Instagram at theplaidpilot. Well, that about wraps it up. I know we did things a little different today. Uh, definitely a shorter episode, not really aviation history related. 
but I hope you still enjoyed it, learned a little bit about me. Um, if you did, it would mean a lot. Again, if you just uh, real quick give it a five-star rating on whatever you're listening on. Uh, maybe even leave a review if you've enjoyed this one, you enjoyed the previous episodes. If this is the first one you're listening to, then definitely welcome aboard and um, be sure to check out the previous episodes. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Plaid Pilot Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't, shoot me an email at todd at theplaidpilot.com or DM me on Instagram at theplaidpilot. I'd love to hear your suggestions to make the show better. Y'all stay safe this week, and as my wife always says, fluffy landings.